Hey, Cornerstone, good to see you guys, man. Are you glad to be in church? Come on. My name is Scott, and I want to welcome everyone here in Chandler. And I want to give a big shout out to everyone at the Scottsdale location. Come on, Chandler, let's give it up for the campus in Scottsdale. Come on, we can do better than that. That's it. That's what way to go. As well as everyone out in Santan. Come on, man. Let's give it up for Santan. We're so glad that you're inviting us into your experience today. I do want to give a big shout out to everyone sitting in the venue right now, right here in Chandler. Come on, let's give it up for the folks in the venue. So glad to be part of your experience today. Everyone at the five o'clock service. Man, I'm so glad. We're all glad to uh, to be together today. I want to just come right out of the gate and get right into this this morning, okay? So what I want you to do is open up your Bible, if you have one on you, and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, all right? Ephesians chapter 2, and just kind of put something in there to mark it. If it's paper, if it's digital, you're all good. Grab your neighbor's wallet, stick it in there, whatever you need to do, just make sure you can flip back to it in just a couple minutes. Um, Christmas, it's like here, it's the holiday season, right? And there's so many traditions in the holidays. How many of you would say, you know, I kind of like a lot of the Christmas traditions. It's fun. I embrace Christmas tradition. Raise your hand if that's you everywhere. Christmas tradition people. Okay, so like for, for some of us, you cannot do Christmas without being like the Griswolds and lighting up the outside of the house. Right? Some of you guys are like, we've got to be able to see our house from the, the, the moon, the space station has to see our light, our house when it's going by. Others of us are more like, bah humbug. Are you kidding me? That's a waste of electricity. I don't even want anybody to know my house exists on my block. Some of us light it up, some of us don't, and I'm only talking about Christmas lights. Now some of us, some of us love Christmas music. Any Christmas music lovers in here? I mean, you, you, here's the thing with you people. You listen to Christmas, you start listening to Christmas music on Halloween. You're just different than the rest of us. You can't start listening to Christmas music too soon. For others, you're like, oh, it can't go away soon enough, right? For the Christmas music. Maybe, though, this is a big one. This is, this kind of creates a little bit of controversy or conflict. How many of you say a Christmas tree, I know it's somewhere in the Bible, has to be a real tree. It's got to be real. It's got to be living and breathing. You got to smell the pine and all that stuff. How many of you are like me and you're like, I'm just going to pull that thing out of the garage, pop it up, plug it in, bam, you're the fake Christmas tree people. Any fake Christmas tree people? Yeah, that's, that's a big one. Uh, maybe uh, many of us, maybe you open your Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve. You're one of those 11.59 p.m. kind of people or something like that. And then the rest of us were like, you gotta open the gifts on Christmas morning. It just wouldn't be right. There's so, there's so many fun traditions that go along with the Christmas season. But I wanted to start by introducing you to the one in whom we make a big deal about during Christmas time. Now, you and I may have not met, and I'd love to meet you at some point in time, but believe me, you're not missing anything if you haven't met me. But I want to introduce you to someone who is a really big deal. So stay in Ephesians 2 and allow me just to read this to you out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Cornerstone, what's his name? He goes on. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
What's his name? Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. One moment changed history. That moment is the birth of Christ. So much so that be it Christian or non-Christian, we all acknowledge it when we look at the date on our phone. When we write the date down on a piece of paper or someone asks you, what's the date today? In a roundabout way, we are acknowledging the birth of Christ because the, the unofficial global calendar is called the Gregorian calendar. And it was developed by this guy named uh, Dionysius in like 525. And basically he said, all right, let's measure time by the moment that Christ was born. Let's say everything previous to the birth of Christ is going to be called BC or before Christ. And everything since the birth of Christ, we're going to call it AD, which is sometimes mistaken for after death. It actually means um, Anno Domani, which means in the year of our Lord. So he said, let's measure all of time for being before Christ or in the year of our Lord, counting the days up since the birth of Christ. There's no question that that moment changed history. But the question I want to throw out to all of us is, has that moment, the birth of Christ, changed your story? Has it changed my story? Because every single one of us has what I would call a BC story. A story about our life before coming into a relationship with Jesus. A story about what life was like outside of embracing who God is. Our BC story. My story changed in 1991 when I surrendered my life to Christ. Before that, I'll go all the way back to the beginning. I was born in 1969. I'm telling you, man, you're old. Whoever just yell at you are old. I mean, come on, that's, I mean, we're 70s babies, but it was really like, the, we were in the 60s. In 1960, this is how far back that was. Neil Armstrong said, this is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That's how long ago that was. Fast forward my BC story just seven years. And I received what is still the greatest Christmas gift I've ever received in my life. They're going to throw a picture up here if they have it for you. Right there. The greatest Christmas gift ever. That's a Huffy Thunderstar BMX bike. Now that's not just any Huffy. That's the Bicentennial Edition. 1976. Look at, I think you can see it in Scottsdale and Santana and in the venue as well. Look at the seat on that baby. I mean, that's, that has some swag to it already. That's, that's a piece of engineering before its time. The greatest gift I ever saw Christmas morning, 1976. It's sitting next to our Christmas tree. And I'm like, oh, life is good. Fast forward my BC story just about six years, five, six years later, 12 years old, I became an entrepreneur. I was peddling illegal substances to my fellow 7th graders. That same year in 7th grade, 
I was kicked out of school for three days for drinking whiskey out of a Mountain Dew can at a high school football game. Yes, you do need to speak with Lynn about who he allows to stand up here. (laughs) To my parents, I was the one that drove them crazy. To my teachers, I don't know if you still do this, but to my teachers, I was the one that they sent to detention. Like, get out of my class, go there and sit there all day with someone else. To law enforcement, I was a walking misdemeanor. To God, I was just another normal human being manifesting symptoms of my BC condition. My spiritual state of being outside of a relationship with Jesus. And though your symptoms and my symptoms may be a little different, our state of spiritual existence outside of Christ is the very same. So I want you to look uh, at Ephesians 2 and while you're Getting ready, we're getting ready to dig in there. Let me unpack a little bit of the context here because the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. Inspired by the Spirit of God, he writes this, this short six-chapter epistle that is chock full of theology and encouragement and inspiration. And in, in chapter one, he basically begins it in some translations. He, he writes it to believers, those who have chosen to surrender to Christ. And he says to them, he says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Isn't it cool that if you're a follower of Jesus, God looks at you and addresses you as a saint? You better look at someone sitting next to you and say, man, you better start living up to your potential, bro. He's writing it to believers. And then he goes and just unloads and unpacks all this stuff. It's like he he erupts in this, in this, theological explosion of truth and he unpacks all this stuff that God has done for us as followers of Christ and who he is and then he goes and starts praying for us and he's with all this passion and he says he says and I pray that the the eyes of your understanding the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know the hope of God's calling on your life and the power that is at work within you and he says that same power It's what God used to raise Christ from the dead. And then he goes off on talking about who Jesus is. And it's all about Jesus. It's from Jesus. It's for Jesus. Jesus is the head of all things. He's the head of his church. And then right there, at the end of chapter 1, he turns on a dime and throws a 180. And in all of this eruption of, of exciting theological truth, he turns and he reminds these believers of their BC condition. And let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says this, As for you, as for you, Aaron Swenson in Scottsdale, as for you, Larry Van Lahr in Santan, as for you, Lynn Winters and Lisa Winters, as for you, Scott Rogers, as for you and you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Just turns the table on him. And he's basically saying, you know what? In our BC condition, in your life outside of Christ, spiritually speaking, you were the walking dead. Yeah, we're alive. Our body's alive. We're alive emotionally, physically. And I don't really fully comprehend this, but Scripture makes it very clear here and in other places that outside of a relationship with Christ, 
spiritually speaking, we are absent of the life of God. We are void of true life. And he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And we see in other places in scripture, he's talking about Satan. And I'm not a fanatic in that sense, like, hey man, you're just worshiping the devil because you don't love Jesus. However, God's word would tell us that not only outside of Christ are we the walking dead, but we are living and submitting to, we're living under the influence of another spiritual authority. If we realize it or not. And then Paul goes on in verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. We were even Oakland Raider fans. And that's what, I mean, he just unpacks it right there. In your BC condition, we do as we please, when we please, to please ourselves. And then he says something that's kind of, it's kind of scary in a sense. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. By nature, our very existence, we, we had, because of, of sin in our DNA, we were by default going to ultimately be a recipient of the wrath of God. Everybody say, but God. Now come on, say it with some passion, but God. And then, so he turned the table, now he turns it in the back in the, in the other direction, into the AD stuff, and here's what he says. Let's keep going. Uh, in verse 4. All right, you guys still with me? He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in what? What's he say? Isn't it cool that God takes pleasure in not giving you what you deserve? Isn't that awesome? He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Gave us spiritual life. Jesus even said this in a different way in John 3. He said, hey, I know you're alive, but not spiritually. Spiritually, you must be born again. And he says, God's made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by what? It's by grace you've been saved. Not only does God take pleasure in not giving us what we deserve, he takes great pleasure in giving us what we don't deserve. His grace. Grace. Over and over and over again. In verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Basically, to simplify that, God has placed us at a spiritual place of our own authority under him, and so we can live from that place. Maybe we'll unpack that another time. Verse 7, In order that in the coming ages, watch this, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus. Merry Christmas. That's Christmas right there. God wants to express his incomparable riches by being kind to us, giving us grace and mercy. So I think, okay, well, cool, but what's the immediate application? How does that text change my behavior at dinner on Sunday afternoon? How does that change my approach to my work on Monday morning? I'm one of the guys who's just as guilty as anybody going, okay, man, we got to, I want to apply this to my life. And how can I help others to apply scripture in a very practical and simple way? How do I apply this to my life? And I think sometimes 
and are working so hard to find an application to Scripture, we overlook the greatest application to Scripture. Let me show you what I mean by this. I'm going to read through this again, and then I'm going to try to model what applying it may look like. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in what? Rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sins. It is by grace that you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here's how I apply that. God, thank you. God, thank you so much that you take great pleasure in not giving me what I deserve. God, thank you that you're lavishing on me your grace and your kindness, God, and that your greatest pleasure is to reveal your goodness to me. God, thank you that you've saved me from your wrath. Thank you that I had to do nothing to be forgiven by you other than just submit to you and surrender to you. God, thank you so much of what you've done in my life, that you saved me from my own sin. You saved me from myself. God, thank you that you're showing me who you are. God, I worship you. I adore you. I exalt you. God, thank you so much for what you've done in my life. Is there any greater application to Scripture than that? Is there any greater application than bursting out in gratitude, in praise, in thanksgiving to the one who's done all of this for us? I would suggest there is no greater application. All throughout the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, God tells his people to build a memorial. And sometimes these memorials were simply a little pile of stones. And whenever God would do something great for his people, maybe he'd deliver them out of something they could not get themselves out of. Maybe he would provide for them when they had nothing. Maybe he would heal them when they, when they absolutely needed that to exist. Whatever he'd do, often he would say, hey, here's what I want you to do. You've seen the great thing I just did for you. I want you to build a memorial so that when you come back by here again, you'll remember what I've done for you. And in telling us to remember what he's done, he's also saying, I don't ever want you to forget what I've done for you. I was... Uh, Thursday morning in our house three days ago and I'm kind of in my morning routine. And my morning routine is, is pretty simple. I get up around six o'clock, sometimes a little earlier, sometimes a couple minutes later. I get up and the very first thing I do when I get out of bed, you might think, oh, I, I know what you do, dude. You're, you're a pastor, so it's in your job description. You got to get on your knees and just start praying. No, I don't. I get out of bed and I let our dog out. Our little dog, his name's Tucker, and he has me trained. Every morning I wake up, and he's there. He's like, let's go. And a couple of years ago, it changed. I don't know how it happened, but he, he, he retrained me. He won't go out the back door anymore. He wants to go out the front door. And so every morning I get out of bed, he puts this little invisible leash on me, and I follow the dog through the house, and we go to the front door, and I unlock it. We walk out, and there I am standing out in our driveway at 6 a.m. watching our dog go around and pee on all the bushes. 
And then he'll go over to the neighbor's yard and pee on their yard, but don't tell anybody that. He's got four spots so every day. And I have to go out with him because you don't want him to run out the street or, or run off because it's in the front yard. And then I go back in the house and then my morning routine continues. I go over and I brew a pot of coffee. I obey God's word and brew a pot of coffee. You're thinking, huh, is there really a Bible verse for brewing coffee? Actually, there's not. There's just a whole book in the Bible that encourages us to do that. It's called Hebrews. And so, some of you are thinking, he just told the cheesiest joke in church I've ever heard in my life. And so Thursday morning, three days ago, I'm sitting on our sofa in our house, and I have my cup of coffee. And uh, another part of my morning thing is I, I, I read, and I'll read my Bible, and I'll read, uh, I always have a, a, another book that's part of my, you know, I'm reading. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of processing what I've read. I'm praying a little. And just, and some of you might call it your quiet time, right? So I'm having this quiet time, and I do it in the morning, and I'm sitting there, and I just read through Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm just pondering what I just read. And about 10 feet in front of me, just off to my left a little, is our Christmas tree. And our tree's sitting there, and I'm just kind of I'm staring at that tree, just sipping on my coffee and thinking about what I just read. And I just became overwhelmed with gratitude. And I began to just, I wasn't saying it out loud or anything, but I was just kind of whispering it and just saying it from within, saying, God, Thank you for saving me from your wrath. God, thank you for saving me from myself. God, thank you that back in 1991, you sent someone to me to tell me about you. God, thank you that you didn't leave me alone. Thank you that your grace is always there for me. Your mercy is covering me. Thank you, God, that your kindness is always extended to me. And I just began sitting there just to, just to worship God, sipping my coffee. I wasn't singing. I was, I was just, oh, God, thank you. And then I began to think through not only what he saved me from, but what he's brought me through. And I've shared this a little in previous times. Here, you know, I, I came, a few years ago, I came out of a five-year season that was hell on earth for me. And it was a season where I would regularly say to myself, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it through. Your heart may still be beating, but spiritually, you're going to be bankrupt. Emotionally, you're going to be in the ditch. Financially, you're going to be broke. You're not, you're not going to make it through. And I started thinking about that season. And I was sitting there just like, mm. I made it through. God, thank you for bringing me through that. God, thank you that that's in my rearview mirror. And God, thank you that I have more grace on other people because of it. And God, thank you that I believe in you more because I had a season where I thought that you had abandoned me. God, thank you. You brought me through. And I just began to worship God. And in that moment, and I don't have a Bible verse for this, and I don't think I need it, but in that moment, that Christmas tree, that fake Christmas tree that sits in the box in the garage, 11 months out of the year, became a memorial to me. 
And I said, God, every year when I pull that darn thing out of the garage and I throw it up and plug it in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that to remember what you've done for me. God, may I never forget where you've brought me from. And may I never forget how you're still changing my story. And that tree became a memorial. What greater thing could we do if you're a follower of Jesus? What greater application could we have than worshiping him? Bursting out in praise and thanksgiving, especially in the Christmas season. It was his birth that changed history. And it's his birth that's changing our story. You know, this, this actually pushes itself out in a lot of practical ways in our life. Because when you walk away from a moment of bursting gratitude towards God, it affects our behavior. Let's say you're going to the mall. How many of you guys know it's just a bad idea to go to the mall in December? Right? It doesn't matter where you are. It's a bad idea. And the first challenge is finding a parking spot. I mean, you're circling around with two, three, four hundred cars, depending on the size of the mall, but everybody's swooping around looking for that one spot. We're all like a bunch of vultures waiting to swoop in on our prey. And what we're, we're looking and we're scheming. Oh, they're going over there. I'm going to go over here. And you know what happens when you see it. You see that line of bumpers and then there's that little blank spot, right? That spot that's empty off in the distance. And here's, you, you won't admit this but I will for us. We speed up. Not too fast that we're going to run over little Jimmy who runs through the parking lot, but we are going to hit the accelerator in the parking lot and we're going to get there before Joe Schmo over there. And I'm going to turn my blinker on so that when he rounds that corner, he knows I called it. That's mine, right? So you pull up and you speed up. You've got your blinker on and you pull up that empty spot. And what do you see? A stupid Prius <laughs> right there. Tucked right up on in there. Right? Tree huggers. It's right in there. So you, you keep on circling around. But you know what you can do if you came from a moment with God where you were bursting with gratitude because he's changed your story? You can keep circling around and you can say to God, it's all right, God, I'm going to be patient because I thank you that I'm not driving around in circles in my life anymore. Because I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. I know whose I am. I know who loves me. And I know that I'm not a mistake. God, I thank you that I'm not driving around in circles. Because your love for me, your grace, your kindness, your mercy. Then you walk into the mall. And everybody's cutting you off, you know. Maybe it's Target or something. You know, pushing you with their carts. All the Dodger fans, you know, they're just cutting you off and pushing you around. Just remind yourself, you're like, yeah, I used to do the same thing to God. It's all about me. I didn't care about him. Whatever. A little more patience. For those of us who are a bit lonely and longing for someone who's, who's not there, the holidays amplify that loss. I don't think this removes the pain, but I think it gives us perspective. When we burst in praise and thanks to God for changing our story. We can thank him because we know the end of the story. And we know that those who surrender their life to him are with him. And when our day comes to step into eternity, 
we get to reunite in some way, somehow. And that's the true hope that we have in regard to those who are no longer here. Doesn't take away the pain, but it just helps us to look at it with some perspective. Is there any greater application than worshiping Him and glorifying Him? Go down in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to wrap it up looking at verse 13. And as I read this, I want to... You know, you think about worshiping Him. There's so many ways to worship Him. You know, we can, we can sit on our sofa like I was. And you can sip your coffee or, or whatever. And just, God, thank you. You're worshiping. You can go offer help to your neighbor as an act of worship. You can serve someone or serve at church as an act of worship. You can, you can step out in faith like Lynn has been teaching in this whole test, series called Test, and giving and say, God scares me to death. But you know what? As an act of worship, I'm going to trust what your word says and I'm going to see you come through. See, worship is expressed in many different ways. But I would suggest when it comes from that place of true, authentic, uh, that moment with God, God, thank you. And now it pushes itself out into those areas. That's all worship. And verse 13 says this in Ephesians 2. And as I read this, maybe, maybe, maybe you're thinking, okay, I know you've kind of, you've referenced me, Scott, because you said, those who are believers. So I know that you're kind of mentioning me because I don't know what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Scott, I don't know what that looks like, but I can tell you for certain I don't have one. And then whenever we talk about some of the stuff out of the Bible, sometimes you're like, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. Well, that's, and I say this respectfully because I've been there. That's because you're living from your BC state of being before Christ without that relationship with him. But what's so cool is his grace and his kindness and his mercy is still there for every single one of us, holding it out. And it says in verse 13, but now. Everybody say, but now. The apostle Paul, he says, but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away, you who once were stuck in your BC way of living, void of the life of God, outside of a relationship with him, but now in Christ, you have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Do you know the purpose of Christmas is Easter? The birth of Christ, the path, the ultimate destination was to hang on the cross. And so I want to encourage us Let's embrace this Christmas. Build a memorial somehow in your life and begin to thank him for what he's done in your life. Not only has he saved you from his wrath and forgiven you for your sin, maybe he puts your marriage back together. Maybe he's giving you strength to parent the kids like me that drive you crazy. Maybe he's He's enabling you to make a difference in someone else's life because you're choosing to serve and to worship God in that way. Whatever it might be, build that memorial that says, God, thank you for what you're doing in my life.
for what you've brought me through. And if you're someone who'd say, Scott, I'm not there. I don't have a relationship with God. I just want to encourage you. Before you go to bed tonight, give consideration to what I've just said. And maybe you can pray as an act of worship and say, God, I want to know who you are. If Scott's telling the truth, I want to experience it. Would you be in my life? Jesus, would you be the leader of my life? Would you be the Lord of my life? There's no formula to that prayer. It's just a heart of worship that surrenders to him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray for a moment. Father God, God, we thank you so much that we all have a BC story, God, a a life separated from you. And Lord, we thank you that For those of us who are now in relationship with you and those of us who are not, the only difference is the decision that we made to give our life to you, God. Thank you that your grace and your mercy and your kindness is free to us. It costs you dearly. It costs the life of Christ. But God, we thank you that it's given to us as a free gift. God, may we worship you. May we extol you. May we magnify you in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives during this holiday, God. May you be greatly praised for who you are, Lord. And we thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.